Coming to you from the Philadelphia area, this is the Westchester Church Podcast. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. Pulled a dead mouse out of my car the other night. You know, when you get to be almost 40 years old, you feel as if you have a decent understanding of how the world works, right? And yet I'm just now learning as of like last month that rodents can get into your car at any point in time and just wait for you. This is the second mouse that I pulled out of my car in the last month and a half. So next thing I know, the other night I'm walking around in the parking lot with a dead mouse in my hand. Oh, by the way, that reminds me, Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> Joy to the world. and The entrance of Jesus into the world is a beautiful story. It's a poignant story of grace. And then as we've seen, though, these past few weeks, though, sometimes the story gets overly sanitized with sentimentality. It is a beautiful story in that sense. And yet it's also a very messy story. Jesus came here as a shining light in a dark and in a violent world. And I feel like sometimes because of nativity scenes and Hallmark cards, when we think about Jesus' birth, we just can't help but, but envision Jesus entering into this very idyllic utopia where everything was absolutely perfect. Where you got Jesus and Mary and Joseph over here, and over in the bushes you've got angels hiding, humming silent night. Everybody's walking around with halos over their heads, and visions of sugar plums dancing their heads, and all of that. And yet it's in Matthew chapter 2, though, where we encounter one of the more unfamiliar components of this very familiar story. And what is very unfamiliar to us much of the time in the story of the birth of Jesus are in the people who we know of as the three wise men. And the three wise men, as as we know, find Jesus and they bring him gifts. Well, as we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 2... Little time has elapsed ever since Jesus' birth. Jesus most likely is maybe a week old, maybe two or three weeks old at this point. Jesus is living in the house that Joseph had prepared for his family. And you know, the three wise men is just one of those religious nicknames that comes along that can be a little bit misleading sometimes. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about three wise guys from the East... I made to think of others. When we talk about three men and a baby, I think we're speaking about a Ted Danson movie, you know? So that doesn't work. We don't even know if there were three men. We just know that there were three gifts that they brought to Jesus at the time of his birth. But when we really learn who these guys truly were, who make the journey and who give gifts to Jesus, our our understanding of the birth of Jesus becomes even more beautiful and unexpected. And so we read in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, 
Matthew says, Now after Jesus had been born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east appeared in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east, and we have come to worship him. In the original text, Matthew refers to these men as simply Magi. Now, Magi is a Persian word, and in that word we can hear the word magician, Magi, magician. It also means a sorcerer, and it means a wizard. Now, this does not mean that they were magicians in the sense that they were, were yanking rabbits out of top hats. That doesn't mean that kind of magic, but what it does mean is that they were viewed as, as being very magical in the sense that they, they had this innate understanding of the constellations. And so from way off in the east, they take notice that there is a star shining in the sky. And, and somehow, in some way, we don't know exactly how they would have known this, but, but as soon as they lay eyes upon this star, they just seem to intuit that there had been a king who had just been born all the way in Judea. And so, I mean, these were the guys who had studied the stars and who deeply believed in the movement of the stars, meaning all kinds of things. These were the kind of guys who we read about in the book of Daniel, who King Nebuchadnezzar brings in in order to interpret his dreams. And yet, as Matthew writes, and he uses the word magi, first century Hebrews never would have thought three wise men. But rather more literally, what they would have heard is pagan astrologers came. Now, as non-Jewish people in the land of Palestine, anybody who was not Jewish was, was of course, a Gentile. Gentiles were, were almost always viewed as dogs and as a pagan. I mean, these guys were astrologers who predicted the future based on the movement of stars. These guys were priests of an ancient Persian religion called Zoroaster, who believed in a god who they called Ahura Mazda, and who read from the scriptures called Avesta. This is, in a nutshell, who these guys truly were. And so Matthew continues in verse 10, and he says that when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after they came into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they all fell down and they worshipped him. Then they opened up their treasures and presented to him the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I mean, the moment that they saw Jesus as his distinguished guest, they do something that was very customary in this time as outside foreigners. Where it says that they bow down before Jesus, not so much in a religious sense at this point, but more so in a reverential way that we are in the presence of royalty. And so they bow down before Jesus and they bring him all kinds of gifts from, from a distant world. Matthew says that they have brought him the gift of gold. Gold in this ancient world, of course, is a symbol of power and of royalty. And given what our circumstance is here, understanding that they were in the presence of a royal king who had just been born, based on the stars... This was no small amount of gold that they're bringing to Jesus. This is an astronomical supply of gold. Likewise, it says that they also have come to Jesus with other gifts, frankincense. 
And now frankincense had been used as mainly incense and as perfume. In the first century, it was not a very nice-smelling world, and so many times frankincense had been used in order to mask rather unpleasant smells. Myrrh was yet another luxury item of the Eastern world, and likewise it was used as also incense and as perfume. Well, what really jumps out about these astrologers is that, yes, they, they don't know much about God. They don't really know the Hebrew scriptures. But, but isn't it remarkable how out of all of the people in the world in this time, they are the ones who embark on a very long and arduous journey of a thousand miles plus, very dangerous journey. And they go a thousand miles just to see Jesus with their own eyes. And isn't it remarkable that, that out of all of the people in the world in this time, it is these Gentile pagan sorcerer astrologers who are the ones who bow down and who worship Jesus with the most extravagance. I mean, these pagan astrologers couldn't have been any more jubilant about Jesus Christ coming into the world. And yet what is so ironic about this story is that Jerusalem was alarmed by the arrival of Jesus. As Matthew says in verse 3, that when Herod the king heard about the birth of Christ, it says that he was troubled. He was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him. Well, as we know, Israel has anxiously awaited a Messiah for, for generations and for thousands upon thousands of years. You would have thought that the house of Mary and Joseph would have been inundated with person after person after person paying homage to Jesus in this way. And yet instead, as news of his birth reaches into the royal palace, instead it says King Herod is deeply troubled along with, by the way, most of Jerusalem for that matter. And you know, the king who had been reigning over Israel in these days was Herod the Great. And so Herod the Great is very old at this point in his life. He's been reigning over 30 years. In fact, he's not very long from this world as it is, maybe five or six more years at the most. Well, as Jesus, his Messiah, enters into the world, he does not see Jesus the Messiah, but, but rather Jesus is a threat to his throne and to his power. And we need to understand that Herod the Great was by far one of the most cruel and evil people who's ever lived. There were many people who liked a brother-in-law of his more than the king himself. And so as a result of his brother-in-law's popularity above his own, he had him executed. He had his wife, her grandfather, her sons strangled to death in front of him. He gave very implicit orders that, that when I die, I want you to round up many beloved and prominent people in the land, line them up and just start killing them one after the other. Maybe then my day of death will be a day of mourning after all. I mean, this guy was just evil and wicked and corrupt. And yet if we could go back to these astrologers though, I mean, the gift that these pagan astrologers brought to Jesus, again, they were sacrificial. They showed reverence to the king of kings. 
And yet the gifts that Jesus received from his own king and from his own people, well, those gifts were not so holy, were they? As Matthew goes on in chapter 2 of the text, he explains how King Herod tells these, these astrologers that, hey, once you see where Jesus is, let me know because I would like to go and worship him too. Yeah, Herod wants to worship Jesus, all right, but, but he wants to worship Jesus with a sword. Well, when the Magi don't tell him where Jesus is with his fragile ego, this very paranoid king flies into a jealous rage. And he presides over the massacre of an entire village of little babies. He sends his soldiers into Bethlehem. And they slaughter every male child who was two years old and under. So as a result of all of this, Mary and Joseph, now they have to flee the house that Joseph has just prepared for them. And so now they embark on the exodus in reverse. And I feel that we don't speak about this nearly enough. How out of all of the places in the world, Mary and Joseph now have to flee God's promised land in order to find refuge and asylum in, and of all places, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, in Egypt. And so what this means is that Jesus spends his first, I don't know, three, four, five years of his life on the earth living as a refugee in Egypt. Where the very earliest memories that Jesus would have had as a human being, they all take place in Egypt. And when Jesus leaves and he returns into Jerusalem, he's making the exact same journey that his ancestors made through the wilderness. Jesus enters into Jerusalem with the Sermon on the Mount from, in so many ways, Egypt. And I think we talk so much understandably so about Jesus, the Lamb of God, about Jesus, the Word, and the way, the truth, and the life, but, but never in my life until right now have I ever thought about Jesus, the refugee. Yes, the entrance of Jesus Christ into the world is a beautiful story. Yet another sense. It's like pulling a dead mouse out of the trunk of your car. And that's because no matter how much Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with both God and man, even though the Word became flesh and had dwelt among us and He came to His own people, His own people did not receive Him. We all remember the episode where He returns to His hometown and, it, and many people in His own hometown who, who saw Him grow up tried to throw Him off of a cliff. Where his own relatives tell other people in a very public sense, he's out of his mind, he's, he's nuts, he's crazy. There was no room for Jesus in the end at the time of his birth. And at the time of his death, there was even less room in the hearts of the nation for Jesus Christ, their Messiah. Where the very last gift that his own people offered him as he died... Mark describes, and he says, and then they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. And then catch this. And they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, and yet he did not take it. 
could be said of these gift bearers at the foot of the cross that, that and when they saw Jesus, they opened up their treasure box and they presented him with the gift of scourging, of spittle trickling down his eye, of a lacerated back, of nails in his hands and in his feet, and wine that was mixed with myrrh. And they presented Jesus with the gift of myrrh. I mean, it's just so remarkable. He was born six miles down the street from them. Their children grew up with him. They heard him with their own eyes deliver the Sermon on the Mount. And they heard him teach and they saw him drive out demons and perform miracles with their own eyes. And in all that they tried to do was kill him and to demonize him. While these pagan astrologers who never even heard of Elijah or, or Moses or Abraham, they are the ones who traveled a thousand miles and they show him all of the reverence and respect in the world and, and they shower him with worship. We might well wonder, I mean, how were Mary, Joseph, and Jesus able to even survive in Egypt? I mean, where, where is the money going to come from? Their Egyptian exile was actually financed by, of all people, pagan astrologers who gave him gold, incense, and myrrh. Something that could be sold for an astronomical amount of money. And in so many ways, these heathens, as many people might, might um, um, identify them, they, they actually have a lot to actually teach those who consider themselves of the household of faith. And yet, lastly of all, this morning, though, that brings us to the most important part of this message. And to the most important gift bearers to Jesus of all in terms of right now. And that is the gifts that, that you and I are bringing to Jesus. Whereas God looks out at, at us as he entered into the world, it could have been said, and seeing us dead in our sins. And seeing us without hope and without God in the world, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus loved us. And he died for our darkest darkness. And then opening up his treasure box, he presented to us the gift of his very life. With the free gift of God called eternal life. And he gave us the gift of his very Holy Spirit within us. And there's a song that I so much love, and it says, that's why we praise him, that's why we sing, that's why we bow down and we worship this king, because he gave us his everything. And yet, what about me? What about you? What kinds of gifts have we been bringing to Jesus lately in our lives? Have we come here this morning with the spirit of King Herod who thought the whole universe revolved around him? Or have we come here this morning with the spirit of, of these Gentile pagan astrologers, sorcerers, wizards, who did not come to be served, but actually to serve, and who joyously bowed down before his majesty and before his presence, and who only laid their very best at his feet? 
when we love Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, when we love each other and our enemies and the lost with every fiber of our existence, when we sing to him from the depths of our soul, when we give our food and our money to the poor, when we trust him even through the fires of, of danger, of tragedy and illness and widowhood, when we pray every morning of our lives, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, I am a sinner, so that I may have mercy on my fellow man. Over and over and over again, we are bringing a treasure box to the throne of God, and it is our absolute best. We are bringing him over and again the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Or as we live the Christian life and our prayers and our offerings and our love for, for his creation, it is all ascending to the throne room of God as a sweet-smelling aroma, just as frankincense and myrrh ascended to his nostrils in a pleasing way out of his, his temple in Jerusalem. See, when we please God in this way, what, what that treasure is that we are bringing before his throne is the overwhelming evidence of his spiritual beauty within us. And that, my brothers and sisters, is good news of great joy.